This is the third lesson, the third study in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. We're going to be concluding it, but it doesn't get any more important than this, the greatest commandment in the Bible. So three lessons is really a small amount of time to be dedicating to this. Verse 28 says, One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that Jesus had answered them well, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other than he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Father, we thank you. I pray, Father, that um, by the Holy Spirit, we would tune in hard, hard, Lord, to what your word is saying today, Lord. And I just, your word says it. The, 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 your word says it's like a hammer. The word is like a hammer. Oh God, shatter our hard hearts. Bring salvation in to this room, Lord. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Lord, we don't want to be like the Gentiles, which, uh, of which it says in Ephesians chapter four that there is ignorance in them. There's darkness. In them, they are alienated from the life of God. Forbid it, Lord, that anyone in this room leaves here alienated, meaning um, just foreign from the life of God, separated from the life of God. Forbid that, Lord. I pray, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we read in Mark chapter 12... Verse 34, Jesus telling a man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That's what he tells this man. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Notice, this is so important, that he's not far from the kingdom of God, but that means what? Someone shout it out. What does that mean? 
He's not in the kingdom of God. That's a problem. That's a big problem. You know, I, I, I've been reading this my whole life. And until I've studied this and, and prepared to teach it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a problem. I, I, I wouldn't be a good thing if Jesus was right here and, hey, Steve, you're, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of God. This man is not in the kingdom of God, at least not yet. And I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. I want to, I'm going to be talking about four questions. And I had these questions for the projection screen. So you can write them down on your iPhone, on your notes section. So you use your iPhone for your notes and your Bible for, for shifting around. But number one, the first question I want to ask is, what is the kingdom of God? He says, he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Question number one, what is the kingdom of God? I'm going to talk about that briefly. Number two, I want to talk about what is this man missing by not being in the kingdom of God? What is he missing? That's, that, that he's not in the kingdom of God yet. Number three, I want to um, talk about why does Jesus say that he's not far from the kingdom of God? And, and I want to talk about what is missing that is causing him not to be in the kingdom of God. I kind of mix that up. Number one, what is the kingdom of God? Number two, um, wh what is he missing out on by not being in the kingdom of God? Number three, why does Jesus say that he's not far from the kingdom of God? And I want to talk about um, what is causing him not to be in the kingdom of God yet. So let's start with question number one. Uh, what is the kingdom of God? And, 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 and to, to answer that question, I had this very neatly on a, on a chart that I was going to put on the projection screen. I use Isaiah 43. So turn in your Bibles to the middle of the Bible to Isaiah 43. And I, I want... Isaiah 43 is a wonderful chapter that describes what the kingdom of God is. That word kingdom of God is used many, many times in the Bible. What does it mean? What is the kingdom of God? Turn to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, um, you, you can actually um, go through it, uh, this, this chapter, and... Uh, and come up with a definition, really, of what the kingdom of God is. And so I will say this. Um, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of people who have been, number one, redeemed by God or saved by God. So you see that right there in the middle of verse 1. It says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. The kingdom of God is a kingdom in which God brings in to the kingdom a redeemed people. He saves them and brings them in. That's number one. The next thing uh, in verse 7, go over to verse 7. Um, it, it says, everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory. That's number two. So uh, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that God saves people. He redeems them. He brings them in for the purpose of glorifying his name. Okay. Number three, go down to verse 10. Verse 10 says, um, you are my Witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is a signpost 
that points to God. If you're a witness to God, your life points people to God as opposed to pointing people to yourself. It's sort of a reflection of God. So what is the kingdom of God? It's a kingdom of people that, number one, God has redeemed, he saved. Number two, for his glory. Number three, to be witnesses for him. Okay, just continuing on in verse 10, it says, you are, this by the way, it's speaking to you. It says, you are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen. So uh, the kingdom of God, uh, circle that word servant, the kingdom of God is a people who God has redeemed for his glory to be a witness for him, to be servants of him. Okay, let's continue in Isaiah 43.10. It says, and my servant whom I have, have chosen, then it says, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Let me, let, let, let me repeat that. This is what the kingdom of God is. He brings you into a kingdom for the purpose of, verse 10 there says, for you to know him, for you to believe him, and for you to understand that he is God. He's Lord, who he is. So again, just to repeat, the kingdom of God is a people, um, Isaiah uh, 43, verse uh, 1, that he brings, he saves. Verse 7, to glorify his name. Verse 10, to be his witnesses, to be his servants, that they may know and believe and understand that he's God. And then finally, in verse 21, it says, this people I have formed for myself that they should declare my praise. The kingdom of God, God saves a people for his glory to be his witness, his servants, to know, understand, and believe him, and to praise him. That's the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells this man in, in Mark chapter 12 what? He says, you're not far from there. You're not far from there. Now, that's good news in that he could be far. We'll talk a little bit about that. It's bad news because he's not in it yet. Okay, so let's go to question number two. Question number one was, what is the kingdom of God? Question number two is, what's this man missing out on by not being in the kingdom of God? What are you? There's, there's, there, I believe there's a few of you here today. You're not in the kingdom of God. You're either near or you're far. But you're not in it. What are you missing out on by not being in the kingdom of God? And I had some verses that I was going to, to put up on the projection screen. One, is, one, one I think should be in everyone's top 10. Romans 14, chapter 17. Rather, Romans 14, verse 17. It says, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what you're missing out on by not being in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is where there is, Romans 14, 14 17, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Number two, what are you missing out um, by not being in the kingdom of God 
I, I, I cite Romans chapter 8, verse 32, which says, He who did not spare his own son, how much more will he freely give all things? So you're missing out on all things. Did you hear that, Calvary Chapel? If you are not in the kingdom of God, the Bible says you are missing out on all things. Now, what might that be? We don't have time to discuss that. But I've, I've got to tell you, it's, it's blessings more than can be counted and blessings which um, are indescribable in how wonderful they are. First Corinthians 4 says, to, uh, Paul says to the church in Corinth, you have all things now that you're in the kingdom of God. What are you when you're, he, he, again, he says of this Pharisee, he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What is he missing out on? Um, I, I, I would not be doing my job as a pastor if I didn't say this. We prayed in the 9.30 a.m. Today it was 10.30 a.m. A prayer service today that, that as pastors in Boston that we wouldn't chicken out. Please pray that I wouldn't chicken out. And I would declare the truth because Another thing that people are missing from the kingdom of God, I'll use Mark 9, verse 47. Jesus says, and we were in this a while back in Mark 9, he says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. That's Jesus speaking. What do you miss out on when you're not in the kingdom of God? Heaven. Heaven, a place described by Jesus as a place where you enter it, you enter into the joy of the Lord, the utter uninterrupted joy of the Lord. A place where you see him face to face, a place where you no longer know him in part, but you will know him just as you are known, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And as the verse says, you are not only missing out on heaven, you are entering into a place of judgment, a place where, uh, described as hellfire, where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not put out. That's what's happening if you're not in the kingdom of God. You're missing out on heaven, and you're getting hell instead. And so, I would say, skipping over to question number four, question number four is, uh, in question number four, Question number four is, what is, the, what is this man missing out that is causing him to be not far from the kingdom of God? I would say that's a very important question after reading Mark 9, uh, wouldn't you? After reading Mark 9 where Jesus says, listen, if you have an eye that causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than be cast into hellfire. I would say it's really important, that fourth question that we're going to be discussing in a little while, what is this man who Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God? What, what's the defect? What's keeping him out? I would say that's, 
There, there, there is no question more important than that. But first, let's go to the third question. The third question, why does Jesus say this man is not far from the kingdom of God? Again, back if you go back with me to Mark chapter 12, go back to Mark chapter 12 in the verses that we're in today. Um, this man says to Jesus, he says in verse 32, um, well spoken teacher, you've spoken truth. There's one God and, and, and there is no other uh, the, but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one neighbor, one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole born offerings and sacrifices. And then verse 34 um, says this, now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Okay, why does he say that? What about this man? Why does he say that, that he's not far? Well, he's, let's start with this. Why is Jesus saying he's near? That's another way of putting it. Why is he near the kingdom of God? Why is he near, you could even say, salvation? He's near, but he's not saved yet. Describe some of you in this room. You're near, but you are not saved yet. Well, number one, for starters, this guy knows some of the Bible. The Bible's very clear that no one will ever get into heaven. No one will ever be saved. They'll never get into the kingdom of God unless they know at least some things from the Bible. This guy uh, knows the Bible. And so for that reason, he know, actually, he knows a lot of it. And the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6 says, God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And then he says, because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you. The Bible also says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. You need the word of God. To get into the kingdom of God, you need the word of God to get near. This guy's near. He's not in yet, but he's near. Why? Because, among other reasons, he knows the word of God. He knows some of it. Um, if you have, the, you know, the Bible does teach, if you have no knowledge of the Bible, you're very far from God. So God's not saying to you, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're far from the kingdom of God if you have no knowledge of God. Uh, this man, this scribe, this Pharisee, he knows a lot about the Bible. He appears to know all the law of God because as we read in verse 29 through 33, he knows the two greatest laws. And then he goes on to say, and these two laws are better than all the other laws. So apparently he knows a lot about the the Word of God. So he's near the Word of God, but just because he knows a lot of the Word of God doesn't mean he's in the Word of God. Jesus is telling him, you're not in the kingdom of God, even though you know a lot of the Word of God. You're near, but you're not in, is what Jesus is telling him here. So, again, concerning the question of which commandment is the greatest commandment, this man says in verse 32, to love God with all the heart, with all the understanding, all the soul, all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. He says, 
is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he quotes from the Old Testament here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Where's that from in the Old Testament? Shout it out. Whoa, what? Deuteronomy what? Deuteronomy 6. Okay, here's a tougher one. Where's love your neighbor as yourself? It's actually nowhere near Deuteronomy 6. Where's that? Anyone know? Look at your footnote in your Bible. <laughs> it's, Le it's, it's Leviticus 19. It's from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Um, but, but again, not only does he know these laws, he, he understands that they're the most important laws. And, and listen, this is so important. He understands that the two, that the law that's most important addresses the fact that God cares most about your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That he under, this guy gets that. That's why Jesus is saying, you're near. You're near, man, but you're not in. You're not in, but you're near. This, why, why? Because among other things, this guy knows that supremely, he knows his Bible well enough to know that what God cares about more than any other thing, Calvary Chapel, what he cares about from you more than any other thing, any other thing, is your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart. That's what he cares about more than any other thing, your heart. And this guy knows that. Now, this is very, this Pharisee, this guy, Matthew, in the book of Matthew, in the parallel account, we discover that this guy, um, we discover that this guy's a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious sect that was very strict. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. Um, they were very um, strict. We, did, we, we find out this guy who Jesus is speaking to here in Mark, Mark chapter 12 is a Pharisee. <clears throat> well, Jesus tells this guy, you're not far from the uh, kingdom of God. It's very different than how he addressed the Pharisees in Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, he was telling some people, he didn't say, you're, you're, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He was basically telling them, you guys are nowhere near. He said to one in Matthew 23, 25, woe to you, teachers of the law. Woe to you means you're in deep trouble with God. That's what woe to you means. You are in deep trouble with God. He says in Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Now that's a guy who's far from the kingdom of God, I would say. Why are they far from the kingdom of God? Because their religion is 100% external. The outside of their life is clean. Jesus says, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are rotten. These guys are far from the kingdom of God. Again, in Matthew 23, 27, and this is Jesus speaking. This is your Jesus. Your Jesus speaking. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. In other words, you are in such deep trouble with Almighty God. You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones 
and all uncleanness. Again, that is a person who's far from the kingdom of God. Why? Same reason. They're all about outward religious acts. But not so the Pharisee that Jesus is talking to in Mark chapter 12. Jesus tells him, you're not far. You're talking about the heart. You're not talking about external religion. You're, you're talking about the heart. He knew what was most important to God, the heart. Notice he, said, uh, uh, he says at the end of verse 33 here, go with me to verse 33, at the end of verse 33, he says that to love God and to love your neighbor is more, than port, more important than all the whole burnt offerings and the sacrifices. What's that? Well, the law, God's law, given to, by God to Moses, required offerings such as burnt offerings. Burnt offerings was a sacrifice. They put the whole animal on the altar and they burned the whole thing. As opposed to other offerings, they just offered part. Burn offerings and sacrifices are described in the book of Leviticus. They're important. They were what God required to atone to cover the sin of the people. They were really important, these laws. But the thing was, all the burn offerings and sacrifices could be done externally with no heart. You could offer up a burn offering and your heart could be dead. You could have dead men's bones inside of your heart. You could do that. You could just go through the motion. And so, what, that is what Jesus was addressing in Matthew 23 with those other Pharisees. You were like whitewashed tombs on the outside. Inside your heart is dead. So, for example, today, communion is really important. We're having communion on Sunday morning, either next two weeks from today, is that it? It's a very important thing, the cup. It represents the, the blood of Christ was poured out for your sin. Your sin caused the crucifixion of Jesus. Your blood was poured out, poured out. His blood, rather, was poured out for you. Communion. The bread represents Jesus' broken body. And we are commanded in the Bible to to participate in communion. But you can do a perfect communion. You could just go through it, you drink it real politely, you know, you know, eat the bread, and your heart can be like dead man's bones. No heart for God. Baptism. Jesus commands that you're baptism. But man, you can go go through that baptism. We had a we had I think we've had two or three baptisms this past year. You can go through it. One of the brothers asked, hey, I want to be baptized. Um, just keep me under for a long time. Um, where are you, Amore? Are you, are you here? I, I don't know if he's here. But he said, keep us. And so we put him under. And after a while, people are like, whoa, what's going on there? Yeah, you know, uh, they didn't know. that. He, but, but you can do that kind of baptism. But inside, a person who gets baptized, you can be baptized. Dead man's bones. The Bible says other things. Commands you to read your Bible. To worship God with songs. We did that today. To pray. You can do all those things with no heart 
whatsoever dead inside. The Bible says other things. It says, do not lie. It says, do not cheat. Do not curse or use filthy language. Do not commit adultery. Do not have sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman. The Bible says that. The Bible says do not steal. Do not get drunk. Do not do drugs. You know, you can not do all those things and your heart can still be dead. Dead, dead. So much so that it can be like dead man's bones. Just, or rot. Just rotting away. The Pharisee in Mark chapter 12 knew that the Bible spoke of something better. <laughs> that is why Jesus told him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He knew it was about the heart. More than that, he knew that loving God was the very purpose of a man's life. The very purpose of a woman's life was loving God. Calvary Chapel, I've been saying this, the purpose of your life is to love God. To love him. God created you not to be going on, running around, uh, being slaves to, uh, for him, but to love him. That's why God created you. This guy gets that. Stephanie and I were in Miami this past week, and we were visiting my father, also visiting the pastor and his wife who sent us up here to start, uh, to start a church, or the, actually I returned up here, was born up here. And we're in Miami. Miami Beach, it's a place very near and dear to, to our hearts. Stephanie and I, as we spent three years there helping to start a Calvary Chapel, and the church is, is doing wonderful. We left, whatever, 23 years ago and had a wonderful time down there. But, but Miami Beach, particularly South Beach, is a place where people from, go, come from all over the world just desperately looking for pleasure. I mean, they are looking for pleasure. It's a very interesting place to, st to, to start a church up. It actually is a great place to start a church up. They're just coming from all over the world there, just desperately looking for pleasure. I saw so much empty, emptiness there, and I spent a lot of time thinking about the whole scene there. In particular, what's the purpose for all this? And, 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 I, and I, I asked Stephanie, like, probably four or five times, right? What do you think, like that person there, what, what do you think they would say if you asked them, what's the purpose of your life? What's, what, what's the purpose of your life? If you just went up to vacationers, what would they say? Well, you know, I, I've talked with enough people over the years. This is one of the, the things that's wonderful about, just about street evangelism. That you just find this out. What's the purpose of your life? And you usually get a response that like, well, it's to try to be as happy as I can be. That person's far from the kingdom of God. Not close, not near, far. Or they say something like, the purpose of my life is to do to, to, to just achieve my dreams, to use my gifts and my talents to the best of my ability, far from the kingdom of God. To make as much money as I can, to accumulate as many nice things as I can, and have as much pleasure as I can, 
far from the kingdom of God. Some people will say to try to make the world a better place or trying to help others. And by the way, one of the things that, um, about that response is that if you start asking probing questions, you find out they're, they're really not doing much at all to help others or help the world be in a better place. But they respond, and, and some of them are, are sincere. But I will say that someone who says the purpose of life is to make the world a better place is far, 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 far from the kingdom of God. But this man, this Pharisee, was not far from the kingdom of God. Why? Because he knew the purpose of his life for every man's life, the purpose for your life is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. That's the purpose of your life. He knew that. Calvary Chapel, I can't, I can't stop saying this. The purpose of your life is to love God. Everything, you know, the, the, the standard answers that you, 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 you hear out there of accumulating whatever or helping people or, or trying to make the world a better place, no, that's far, that's not why, that, that, that they've cut off God. God who made them, they've cut him off. The purpose of your life is to love him with all your heart, meaning with all your desire, with all your mind, meaning you know who you're loving. You're not loving him blindly. You read the Bible, you know from experience that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, kind, merciful, filled with joy, peace. He's, he's your father, he's your friend. You're, you're worshiping, you're loving him with your mind. It says also, um, Loving the Lord with all your strength, meaning you are loving God with intensity. Do you know about loving God intensely? If you don't, if you don't, Calvary Chapel, you're missing out a part of the purpose of your life, intensely loving God. That's the, that's the reason that he created you. Jesus responds. He, this is Jesus' words, not mine. He says the first commandment is loving God with all your strength, with intensity. That's what Jesus says. And then finally, he says, with all your soul. We learned from the soul-keeping book that I was quoting a couple weeks ago. The soul is everything that makes up what is fundamentally you. That's what the soul is. The soul brings the heart, the mind, the body together into that to, into that you that God made uniquely. And it says to love God with all your soul. That's the purpose of your life. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You do that, by the way, and you will start making the world into a better place. You, you do that and you will start loving your neighbor and helping others if you do that. You will become that kind of person. You will, that's why Jesus, Jesus says the first commandment is loving God with all your, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then by definition, you will be helping, loving your neighbor as yourself. That's why he, he lays it out in that way. But this man still, he's near the kingdom of God but he's not in it. He knows the purpose of his life is to love God. But Jesus says he's not in it. Why? That's the most important question, right? Why isn't he not in it? 
What is this guy missing? This man is missing at least three things if you're taking notes. Some of you are sitting here today not far from the kingdom of God. Not far, but you're not in. What are you missing? You're missing these three things. The same things, three things this guy is missing. What was this man missing? Number one, he was missing a deep sense that he had fallen, he was falling spectacularly short of following this law. He, was, he had fallen spectacularly short. He, he, the, the, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he had fallen short of that every minute of every hour of every day. He didn't have a sense of that. We know this man had pride. Why do we know that? In Matthew chapter 24, I think. May not have been chapter 24, but in the parallel account, it says he came testing Jesus. He, or some translation, he came tempting Jesus. This guy had a pride problem. He didn't think, he didn't understand that he was in deep trouble with God because his, he had not been following this law, not even, you know, the intensity required, loving God with all your strength, with just loving God with power, and he didn't get it. So number one, um, he was not loving God with all his heart, not even close. He was not loving God with all his mind, not even close. He wasn't loving God with all his strength, not even close. He wasn't loving God with all his soul, not even close. That was his, that was his first problem. That's why he was near, because he got it, that God looked, at, looked on the heart and not the external, but he was still not in it. Number two, what was this man missing he was not trusting that Jesus could save him and Jesus alone from the consequences of falling spectacularly short of the law. Again, he had that pride. Can you imagine going to Jesus, testing him? Of course, we all have the capacity to do idiotic things like that, testing God. All of us have the capacity. But this, is, this, guy, this guy entered into this conversation. He was testing God. He wasn't, he wasn't coming to Jesus. Jesus, save me. Save me, Jesus. That's the number two. You first have to realize you need saving. You've fallen desperately short. But number two, you've got to ask Jesus to save you. He died for your sins. All your sins, you cannot be good enough to go to heaven. You just simply have to recognize this. Jesus was good for me. All my sin went on him on the cross. The penalty for my sin is death and hell, where the worm does not die, where the fire does not, is not quenched. But Jesus experienced that, all that for me. He didn't do that, number two. Number three, he was just not repenting. He was not doing a U-turn in his life. He wasn't turning from a, self, a life of self-love to a life of God where he was really trying to pursue loving God with all his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength. Hey, l let me be really clear about this thing. This thing about loving God with all your heart, your soul, and mind, and the strength, that is a commandment, and God does require that of you. It's just not a nice saying. It's not a saying, oh, how beautiful. This just makes me cry. 
That's not what it is. God requires it of you. He does. This man, you know, intellectually, he got it. It was the most important thing. But no, he entered into this without a spirit of repentance. If you do not turn from your sin, you cannot be saved. You cannot come into the kingdom of God. Now, the Bible says that once you enter the kingdom of God, which you do by faith, simply by saying, yeah, Jesus, I know I'm in trouble. Come in, King Jesus, into my life. Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in and you are saved forever. Forever. Your salvation is secure. John chapter 10 says, at that point, it says that you're in the palm of Jesus, you're in the hand of Jesus, and none can snatch you out of his hand. The question is, are you near the kingdom of God or are you in it? That's the question. Today, this afternoon, Being filled up with Bible knowledge does not get you into the kingdom of God. It's recognizing, Lord, I have fallen so short of what you require. I am in so much trouble. But Lord, I believe your invitation for salvation I'm up for it, Lord. I'm going to follow you. Come into my life. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. That's what transfers a man or woman or child from being near the kingdom of God to in the kingdom of God. I want to call the worship team up at this point. I know we're a little crowded, but as they're coming, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Please come, please go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you've been asked to pray, please come up at this time. You've been asked to be a prayer partner. So go to verse 5 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And I want, well, my prayer is that you would just really consider this verse really, really, really Seriously, it says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith, meaning whether you're going to heaven and not hell, whether you are in the kingdom of God or out of it. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. It's a healthy thing from time to time to ask yourself the question, am I really saved? Even for me. I mean, the Bible says, if the Bible tells me to do it, shouldn't I do it? It says, examine yourself, verse 5, as to whether you are in the faith. Today you heard about a man 
Calvary Chapel, you heard about a man that Jesus said was not far from the kingdom of God, but he was not in it. Is that you? Just examine yourself. Just ask yourself. It says, it actually, I, I'm not making this up. It says, then it says, test yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. So number one, how do you test yourself? We talked about the three things. Number one, have you ever gone to God and told him and acknowledged, I have so miserably failed at following your law? Loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, I, I, I fail at, at that Do you Have you ever actually acknowledged that to God? Or have you always in your heart tried to insist with God that, you know, you're a pretty good guy. You're a pretty good woman. The Bible says that you were born dead in terms of your relationship with God. You inherited sin from your forefathers and that you must be born again. How? Number one, first of all, by acknowledging that you have fallen so far short of meeting the law. Number two, have you ever in your life gone to Jesus recognizes, recognizing that he came to save you? You need to be saved, and He will save you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to Jesus and said, I get it now, Jesus. I need to be saved. I'm near the kingdom. I'm not in it. Thank you for your free gift of salvation and your free offer to me to come in as Lord, uh, to, to come in as Lord and Savior of my life. I take it. You're my Lord. Have you ever done that? Again, 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself, test yourself, be honest with yourself. Have you done that? The third thing is repentance. Doing a U-turn. Have you ever done that? doing a 180 in which you recognize in my heart of hearts I really know that when push came to shove I've always been in control and I've never given Jesus Christ control and then when there was a choice between God and short term pleasure man it was always short term pleasure Have you ever rejected a life in which pleasure was always a right to you? Have you ever rejected that and turned to God and said, you are my greatest pleasure, God. 
I'm so sorry for rejecting you, my greatest pleasure. I'm so sorry for, yeah, yeah, Lord, I've known about, I've been near the kingdom of God. I've, I, I've known the word of God, but I'm, I'm, I, I, I've been right at the border because I've never made that decision. I've never walked through and said, yes, God, you are my ultimate treasure. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself, it says. And so as the worship team begins right now, I, I'm, why, don't, why don't everyone stand at this time? We're going to stand for a worship song. And uh, if you have never in your life, if you, as you've been just testing and examining yourself and reflecting, if, if, if you're like not sure or, or you're sure you've never done those, those three things, just acknowledging how, fall, how you've so miserably failed following God's standard, how you have um, never gone to Jesus for salvation and, or you've never repented, come on up. It is a prayer of faith. In an instant, you go from being near the kingdom of God to in the kingdom of God simply by faith or far from the kingdom of God to in the kingdom of God simply by faith if you've never done that I want you to come forward and I want to pray for you or one of these other couples will pray for you Father in the name of Jesus I just thank you for this opportunity Lord to participate in a harvest. I pray, Father, you would do a mighty work among us, Lord, as we close out the service in Jesus' name. Amen.